I hope everyone has a copy. Okay, whoever worked on this cover, nice job. <laughs> so as you all already know, we will be covering the Hot Sutra. And a lot of you already know the Hot Sutra. I've heard about the Hot Sutra. And I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have already received uh, instructions, teachings on the Hot Sutra. And uh, the approach that I want to take with the Hot Sutra and the approach that I try to take with almost everything that I uh, try to convey to you is that uh, the Hot Sutra is not only uh, a text just for scholars, it's a text for everyone who wants to achieve something, who wants to transform their lives. And in the Hot Sutra, there is actual instructions on how to do this. So we want to go into this text and then find out what these instructions are and find out how to actually implement these instructions. Okay. Now, I say there are instructions here. Instructions, are you interested in these instructions? Are these instructions relevant to you? Okay. So first of all, we have to, these instructions must be relevant to us. They must be relevant to our condition. condition. They must address not just our curiosity about what is this Hot Sutra thing. It's not only to address your curiosity, I wonder how he's going to present it. But you must think that with conviction that somehow they, how the instructions are supposed to be implemented in your own life will be presented to you. Not necessarily by me, but somehow through this class, through this, uh, through this, uh, uh, what, uh, syn synergy, this, through the synergy, somehow the instructions will be given to you, will be revealed to you. Okay. Uh, does anyone have that? Uh, the three jewels invitation that says uh, it's going to be in three parts, and then the first part is called. Uh, I forgot what the, the words we use. No, we wanted to make them sexy, so we used <laughs> use some sexy words. Uh, the first one, uh, something about. Uh, what was that? Oh, what was that? The quest to transform your life. Oh yeah, the quest to transform your life. Ooh. And <laughs> and and the title for the next two classes. The magical elixir. <laughs> <laughs> magical elixir. <laughs> Now that was sexy. <laughs> and, and of course today I'm not going to be talking necessarily about the first one and then the next one I'm going to talk about the, the elixir. But somehow throughout uh, the three, these three Tuesdays, these three things will come out. Okay? And I hope you catch them. Okay? Because I'm not going to say, okay, today here's the elixir. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay? Uh, of course, the traditional way of uh, teaching the Hot Sutra is to uh, uh, talk about where did the Hot Sutra come from, why was it spoken, and that kind of stuff. 
and if you want a scholastic answer, you know, read the books. You know, uh, what's his name? Obi Miller does a very good job on the, on the perfection of wisdom. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the one who translated the 25,000 line, the large sutra on perfection of wisdom. Kanze. And many others, okay? And then they will give you excellent scholastic uh, information as to you know, what AD or what BC the sutra came and who uh, made it popular and who and and why, okay? But for that kind of information, go to those books. I prefer to talk about the uh, another uh, origin of the Hat Sutra. Believe it or not, the the Hat Sutra did not come from only I don't know 2,500 years ago when when the Buddha spoke it. Okay, that wasn't the origin. That, that's not the origin of the Hat Sutra. And uh, okay, I have to somehow co connect this with some sort of scripture, so it doesn't sound, so it doesn't seem to be that only I'm making this up right here and right now. Okay. Well, one of the uh, scholastic reasons that answers that touches touches upon that when the Buddha himself is talking about where does this sutra come from, where does the perfection of wisdom come from, and the Buddha says. It doesn't have an origin. And so, so the Buddha is saying, I'm not the one who made this up. I'm not, this, this is not the first time that the, the perfection of wisdom is being, is being spoken about, is being transmitted. Okay? So you could say it is timeless. And because it is timeless, so that gives me a little bit of a room for creativity. <laughs> okay. So instead of thinking of the Hat Sutra, uh, it, when you think about the Hat Sutra, it's, oh, you th you, there's this image in your mind, or oh, there's the Buddha sitting on the. Actually, my, my many translators, when they are translating the setting of the Hat Sutra, they say because they're, they're, they're translating Ri, which means mountain usually, but Ri can also be a hill. Uh, when they are translating it. They want to be, you know, majestic, so they say, on mountain vultures peak. And my teacher, when he was talking about it, he said, the hill called vultures peak. And I say, what, what? I mean, my teacher is not someone who uses words without, you know, just, you know, just for the sake of using some word, or what word should I use? Or I use that one. Every word that he speaks, he speaks it with, with deliberation. Okay, why did he call it the hill? Well, actually, Vulture's Peak is an actual place. You can go visit it. You can find out if it's a mountain. I guess it depends on what you call a mountain, <laughs> where you come from, okay? Or is it a hill, <laughs> okay? And also, to confirm it, uh, the Dalai Lama also says, well, if you actually visit the place, there's no way that, that uh, in the in the uh, the way it's describing the setting you know on this day on the mount on okay i guess we have to sort of debate as to which which is it a hill or a mountain but let's call it a hill okay okay just call it vulture's peak okay <laughs> on, on vulture's peak there were these many people assembled and the dilemma says i've been there there's no way all those people could fit on that hill <laughs> okay so again we have to not take and, and we have to not take everything literally. There's a you could say a metaphysical reason why why the description was given that way. 
is supposed to evoke something within you. And then it's that emotion that is really the teaching, not necessarily the description, you know, the latitude of Vulture's Peak exactly. Was it really called Vulture's Peak? Was it called Vulture's Peak because vultures used to go there? Why was it? That's not, that's not the reason for it. But what image, what emotion, what does it draw from you? That's the real teaching. Okay? And that also you have to take with you. Imagine that there are no, that you're living at a time when there are no religions whatsoever. No one has proposed this is how it should be yet. Okay? And now this guy is coming and saying and sort of proposing a religion for you. And what are you going to do? You're going to examine what this person says according to your own experience. You're not going to just take this person's word and say, oh, I guess that's how, that, that's how uh, reality is. Okay? And from now on, you're going to live that way. No, you're going to examine what this person said. You're going you're gonna, to uh, check it with your own experience. And then you're going to check your own experience to see how valid they are. Are they really valid? Can, can you, can you, is this person actually showing you something more valid than your own experience? Okay? You have to do this checking. Okay? So whenever something, a teaching is being given to you where, what did I say, the, the quest to transform your life, when you're going to be transforming your life, this is going to be major stuff. This is not just, you know, you know uh, changing shoes where you can say, okay, I don't like these shoes anymore, you know, uh, buy another pair. This is transforming your life. And you know how long it takes to reach a transformation and how long it takes to remove a transformation. So you want to change your life, change your change, change anything, and then later on decide, oh, I don't think I want this anymore. Then the work you're going to have to do to remove that transformation is going to be tremendous. So you better be very careful. Don't just accept it just because it is said. You know, a lot of people are saying this is holy. A lot of people are saying this is the truth. A lot of people are saying this is this is it. Okay. Let it prove itself to you. Okay. If it is what it is, it shouldn't be shy about proving itself to you. It shouldn't be shy about you examining it. It shouldn't be shy about you finding, trying to find out if this is true or not. Okay? If it is shy, then you have to be suspect. Okay? Very suspicious. Maybe it's hiding something. <laughs> okay? So. The perfection of wisdom. Uh, this is this is called the Heart Sutra, okay, which is uh, uh, essentially the essence sutra. You can call it the essence of what, the essence of the perfection of wisdom. And what is the perfection of wisdom? And that's what you have to. That's the first thing that we have to uh, we have to start. Have our mind be very open and at the same time be very uh, uh, be very open at the same time. Allow yourself to be to analyze. Okay, what is the perfection of wisdom? So, there's a uh, a group of teachings that are called the group perfection of wisdom teachings, and this is happen. This happens to be one of them, and this happens to be like one of the very sh shorter ones. The there's there's an extensive one hundred thousand line or one hundred thousand. Some people say one hundred thousand lines. Some people say one hundred thousand verses. Okay, so hundred thousand less than. 100,000 lines sounds more doable than 100,000 verses. So let's go with 100,000 lines. Okay, already the number 100,000 is too daunting. N nobody wants to read that. Uh, so 100, the perfection of wisdom presented to you in 100,000 lines. The 
and then there's there are shorter shorter versions. There's a twenty-five thousand line. There's the eight thousand line, and then there's the twenty-five line, and there's there's even a, a perfection of wisdom sutra which is in one syllable. There's one syllable that takes care of everything. Okay, and of course, like all sutras, they set they set the scene. These are the people who were there. It's like a can you imagine on Mount, uh, well, I don't know what you call it, Mount anymore, on Vulture's Peak. <laughs> on Vulture's Peak, uh, the Buddha is set to give a teaching, and then there's like somebody at the, at the entrance, you know, asking people to sign their name. Because it's, it's almost like that, because you read uh, some sutras, they say, you know, you know who was there? Bodhisattva Manjushri was there, Bodhisattva Avrakitishara was there, you know, Great Ahat Ajuta was there, Mahamati, you know, all these people were there. So someone must have been, there must have been like a guest, guest, uh, guest book or something. And so, so and such and such a day, these were the people who came to the teaching. Okay, so the Hot Sutra, instead of saying, giving a list, it just says, there was a bunch of people there. <laughs> And then among those people, some of them were uh, ordained, some of them were lay people. Some of them were following the Hinayana path, some of them were following the Mahayana path. Okay? And then that takes you of the guest list. Okay? Uh, so this perfection of wisdom is called the essence because if you understand it, it gives you the essence of the 100,000 line. The 100,000 line sort of goes into details uh, that, for example, when, when this talks about the, uh, the five heaps and the, uh, what are some of the other things, like five heaps, the different categories of phenomena, the 100,000 line, for example, gives you the actual, the actual list. It doesn't say the five heaps, it, it gives you the list of the five heaps, it gives you the list of the 12 dependent originations and all these different kinds of categories of phenomena. Okay? And it gives you an example how and why they are they have a certain nature to them. Okay? So the perfection of wisdom sort of uh, summarizes them and gives you uh, um, no, they're all empty and that's it. Okay. <laughs> The origin of the Hot Sutra. I didn't forget. <laughs> Where did they come from? The Hot Sutra came from your very aspiration to transform your life. That's where the Hot Sutra came from. That's why it was spoken. Okay. If you have in your mind that on that hill those people came and then and the Buddha said, what am I going to uh, teach them? And the Buddha taught the Hot Sutra for them. Then you're missing the point. Okay. You have to see that the Hot Sutra came into existence because you are looking for a meaningful way to transform your life. And the Hot Sutra exists because of you. I'm not, I'm not going into philosophy yet, into the philosophy yet, okay? That, that's why the Hot Sutra exists. That's what brought the Hot Sutra into existence. Okay? You have to make it very, very personal. It wasn't spoken for a group of people way back then in 2,500 years ago. It was spoken for you in the year, what are we now, 2012? 2012? <laughs> the year 2012. After, what's that, AD? Is this AD? AC? A.D. 
<laughs> okay. So he was spoken for you at this time to address specifically the things that you are concerned about. That's why it was spoken, and that's and that's what it is supposed to be helping you with. It's not just something written that to decorate your your bookshelf. So you say, oh yeah, I have that book. You know, then it was you know, very ancient text. You know, from way back then. You know, it was spoken by this guy. You know, that was who spoke so nicely. We, we kept his we kept his words. Okay, it, it, it's not meant just to decorate your thing. And, and of course. For Buddhists, <laughs> it's not meant to decorate your altar. Okay, this is something that my teacher kept, you know, like almost yelling at, at us for. Though your your text is not to decorate your altar; it's for you to take and read and study and practice. Okay, the Heart Sutra and and all the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras, you see them everywhere. Well, every Buddhist. <laughs> Every Buddhist has a cop, some version of, of the perfection of wisdom uh, scripture on, in, on their altar. Either if they're, if they're lucky, they have the, the, the nice uh, uh, Tibetan form, the 100,000 line. And us modern uh, Westerners have the Kanzi's uh, large sutra, perfection of wisdom, on the altar. And some people have the, the Diamond Cutter Sutra, some people have the 8,000, some people have just the Heart Sutra. And it just stays there. In some places it collects dust. In other places, you know, once in a while you dust it. And that's all it serves. <laughs> and you have those people who are somewhat... Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being... <laughs> Should I say it? Yeah, I can say it. <laughs> some people who have made the practice become more superstition than something to actually practice. Okay. Where it's something, it just becomes an object you bow, to, you bow to. As though bowing to the text will somehow transmit uh, the knowledge that it has. I hear if you sleep you know, with a text under your head, it, uh, <laughs> the knowledge will somehow seep into your, in your consciousness. I've tried it, maybe my head is just too thick. <laughs> so far it hasn't worked. <laughs> okay. But for some people it may have worked. I don't know. It's not just something to decorate your altar, it's something for you to pick up. That's how you worship the Heart Sutra. You pick it up, you read it, you examine it. Okay, that's how you worship the Heart Sutra. Not just buy the nice you no know, gold cloth, wrap it with very nice you no know, silver ribbon. You know, that's not how you worship the Heart Sutra. Okay. Um, so now you know the origin of the Heart Sutra. You figured, huh? <laughs> Okay, now, knowing that this was spoken specific, specifically for you, and to address specifically what your, what your concerns about, whatever your concerns are, they don't have to be metaphysical concerns. They don't have to be concerns that match you know, some sort of scripture. Oh, I don't have those kind of concerns, so I guess it's not for me. No, this is talking about reaching nirvana. What's nirvana? I don't know, some state where you know, when, you know, when you're very, very, very holy, you reach. I mean, I'm not very holy, it's not for me. I just want to, you know, be able to wake up the next day and not have a bad day. That's my goal, okay? That's my concern. I guess this Heart Sutra is not for me, okay? It's for those people, you know, seeking you know, to get out of here, to go to some strange world, okay? That's not what the Heart Sutra is, is for, okay?
whatever your concerns are, and of course if your concern is Nirvana, it's also for you. <laughs> okay? Um, so, think about your concerns, okay? Whatever they may be. Okay, think about them. Let them, be, let them become vivid in your mind. Whatever it may be. Okay. And don't think about is it proper or improper. If it's an actual concern, that's what I'm asking you to think about. Okay? Don't worry if, if some scripture calls it uh, proper or improper. Okay? Remember, this is, no religion has been born yet. <laughs> no one has said, oh, this is proper or this is improper yet. Okay? You've lived your life. You know that stepping on fire burns your, burns your toes. So you avoid that. So for you, that's improper to step on fire step on fire. Okay? So you have those lists already in your mind. Okay? So you think about it, bring it to, bring it to the uh, front of your uh, mind, and you think about, hmm, it would, be, it would be nice if I could actually address these concerns. If I could find a way that helps me address these concerns, whatever they may be. No, you're thinking in your own mind, don't worry, I'm not reading your thoughts to see what's proper or not proper, okay? <laughs> and I don't have that ability, so you don't have to be with women. <laughs> okay? Don't worry. And if someone else here can read your mind, you're not going to tell anybody else. Okay? Still, it's going to be just your own personal thoughts. Okay? Let it be as it should be. Raw. Okay? Your concerns. And then that sense of aspiration. It would be nice if I could actually find a way to address these in a realistic way. Okay? In a way that I can apply. That's very important. Okay? Not just some way that's, oh my God, how am I ever going to do this? But, but in a way that is practical for you, in a way that you can actually start using it as soon as you get home. Even tonight. Okay? And let that build up into an aspiration. It build up into a strong urge. I really want to know that. Okay. So with that urge, with that determination in your mind, now you're going to listen. Okay. And usually, uh, before one actually gets into a teaching, there's supposed to be these preliminary things that we're supposed to do. Uh, supposed to do uh, recite some sort of prayer, recite some sort of mantra, and uh, do, do these rituals. And sometimes it's very annoying, especially if you're going to a place for the first time and everybody's reciting something and you cannot participate. Because everybody else already has, has, it, has the thing memorized, and then you're looking, you know, somebody has a piece of paper with that thing on it, and, and finally you find one, it's in the strange language you can't read. <laughs> it was like that for me for years when I went to, uh, when I started going to, uh, to Howell, because everything was done in Tibetan. And Rinpoche didn't teach in Tibetan, he taught in English. And every prayer was recited in Tibetan. And when I first got there, and I really wanted to participate in everything that they do, and everybody was reciting some prayer, you know, Sangye Chivang, I had no idea what, what that was. Even though I, <laughs> even though 
I knew that prayer before in English because uh, I used to go to Chongla Rinpoche's classes in, in when he was in Chinatown and Chongla Rinpoche did everything in English so I'm thinking, okay, no, another teacher, we're going to do everything in English no, not, not Rinpoche in Howl so they were reciting prayers that I already memorized in English and had no idea what they were reciting and then it sort of made me feel a bit frustrated and I'm thinking What's the matter with these people? So they're, they're, they're guests coming here. Why don't they have some prayers ready for people like me? <laughs> and I never went. I never. I never went to ask anything. So eventually, listening, and when I got the guts to actually ask someone, okay, what are these prayers that people are reciting? And someone said, Oh yeah, here they are. I give you a copy. Okay. Uh, I'm not Tibetan. I don't read this thing. <laughs> I don't read this. And, and well, and that's uh, that's a different story. Never mind. <laughs> So eventually, I got to know the prayers that they recite all the time, and even and once in a while, they would throw in a prayer that I'd never heard of before, and that was sort of frustrating because here I am, you know, getting ready. Okay, I memorized everything already, so I'm ready to recite with everybody, and then what are, <laughs> what are they reciting? <laughs> and I was then I was getting ready to show off that I know this prayer, especially to the new newbies. You know, I know this prayer, you don't know it. I'm gonna recite it loud enough so you can hear it. So you, so you can know that I know it and you don't. <laughs> and here I am feeling very embarrassed that I don't. I'm, I'm, I couldn't even mumble it because it, I would go like this and it would be another way. Okay, so to save anybody else from the same embarrassment, we're not gonna say any prayers. <laughs> but we're gonna keep the tradition nonetheless. So, you want whatever it is, whatever it is that is within you that helps you, that usually helps you, that helps you, that have, that has helped you in the past, that is helping you now, that is going to help you in the future. You want to bring attune your mind to that. I don't care where it's located, whether you you think it's located within you, whether it's located. Uh, in the room somewhere, or if we're just looking at some, uh, some universe or some galaxies or somewhere else. Okay, whatever it is that you have some sense of confidence, some sense of conviction that it has helped you in the past, it's, hel it's helping you now, well, you want it to help you now, and it's definitely gonna help you in the future. So you tune your mind to that. Okay? And then you know what happens when you go to listen to a, a lecture. Because it happens to me a lot, especially lately. I guess I'm getting old or something. <laughs> you know, you're very keen on listening to what is being said because it's very, very important, very, very holy. And then something else comes up into you and you get distracted and you completely not listening to what is being said. And then it distracts you to the point where you enter deep. <laughs> <laughs> deep and profound <laughs> meditation on what you're going to eat <laughs> that night. <laughs> okay. And sometimes it is so deep and so profound that you completely leave your body behind, you have no idea what's going on, and you have no idea that you're snoring. <laughs> okay. So we don't want that kind of interruption within us whether it's being caused by a demon 
that either you know has a wonderful house inside our inside our inside our mind or somewhere, or was in the room, was not invited. I'm sh- I'm sure they don't have emails. Do they have emails? It depends on the show. Well, <laughs> they were not invited. They just like to interrupt. Okay, and then they whisper in your ear. That hamburger you had last night was good, wasn't it? <laughs> it would be nice to have it tonight again. I'm not sure. Should we repeat that? I mean, you already had it already before. <laughs> I, I think I would like it with salad. And then you're all gone in the land of hamburger, cheese, french fries. And then you, you had a meal already in, 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 the, in the very deep, profound meditation. I mean, if only our meditation could be so clear. <laughs> okay. So those interrupt, interrupters, we want them to stay away, okay? And if you don't feel that you have the power to keep them out of your, out of your life entirely from now on until the future, actually, you know, just you know, ask, you know, okay, just, just for, this, for the few minutes, for the few hours that I'm here, you can come back. Just don't, don't interrupt tonight, okay? And then you invite whatever that has helped you in the past and you wanted to come help you now okay and then hold on to your conviction that it will help you tonight okay and then the interrupters will be given a night out will be given a, a, a vacation just for a few hours okay so think strongly on that and for those of you who already have the prayers in mind recite refuge <laughs> okay all right because what we're about to do i mean you're about to transform your life okay this is very important okay so we need help okay we don't want to miss anything okay especially the jokes okay <laughs> because i'm telling you they're gonna be very few okay all right so take refuge especially for that okay And in your own way, in your own genuine way, now express your gratitude for that entity, that force, that intelligence within you that's going to be helping you out tonight. Express your gratitude.
go into the actual text. This is one of those texts that were snuck in every once in a while that I had no idea what they were talking for a long time. Okay. And it must be very important too. So, part of tradition is to recite the Hag Sutra and then to help remove obstacles, we, uh, we would recite this part. Okay. So I'm very, I'm very kind. We're not going to do it in Tibetan. <laughs> we are going to recite it in Eng in English. Okay. And from the very beginning, where it says, "I prostrate," so as all of us uh, read together. And as you're reading it, think that you're actually reading the formula, the prescription that is going to help. I prostrate to the mother of the conquerors of the three times that perfection of wisdom indescribable by words or thoughts which does not arise and does not cease in nature like space whose object belongs to the individual subject's awareness. Uh, should we recite that one? Oh, why not? In the language of India, Sanskrit, Arya Bhagavati Parnya Paramita Indraya. In the language of Tibet, Pakpa Chomdende Ma Shirapki Parol to Chimbe Nyingbo. I pay respect to all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Thus did I hear at one time. The Buddha was residing in Rajakriha at Vulture Peak, together with a great assembly of monks and a great assembly of Bodhisattvas. At that time, from among the variety of possible meditation objects, the Bhagavan was residing in the Samadhi called Profound Radiance. Also at that time, the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, was investigating the practice of the profound practice, perceiving that even those five heaps are empty of inherent nature. Then, by the power of the Buddha, the Venerable Shariputra inquired of the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, how should any son of the lineage train who wishes to engage in the practice of the profound perfection of wisdom? The Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshvara, then declared to Venerable Shariputra, O Shariputra, any son or daughter of the lineage who wishes to engage in the practice of the profound perfection of wisdom should view all things thus. Even those five thunders should be regarded as being in essence utterly empty of inherent nature. Form is empty, its emptiness is form. Emptiness is not something other than its form. Form also is not something other than its emptiness. In the same way, 
feeling and discrimination and compositional factors and consciousness are empty. Thus, Oshariputra, the nature of all entities is emptiness. They have no characteristics. They do not arise. They do not perish. They have no impurity. They are free of impurity. They do not diminish, nor do they increase. Because of that, in emptiness, there is no form, there is no feeling, there is no discrimination, there are no compositional factors, there is no consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no visible form, no sound, no scent, no taste, no tangible object, no object of mind consciousness. There is also no eye constituent no mind constituent, up to no mind consciousness constituent. There is no ignorance, no termination of ignorance, up to no aging and death, nor any termination of aging and death. Similarly, there is no suffering, no cause of suffering, no cessation of suffering, and no path. There is no ultimate wisdom, there is no attainment, there is no lack of attainment. Because of that, O Shariputra, since there is no attainment, Bodhisattvas abide in reliance upon the perfection of wisdom. Because with us, their minds have no obscuration, and they have no fear. Having completely passed beyond error, they arrive at ultimate nirvana. All the Buddhas who abide in the three times also fully awaken. on the perfection of wisdom. Therefore, the mantra of the perfection of wisdom, the mantra of vast awareness, the highest mantra, the mantra that is equal to that which has no equal, the mantra that pacifies all suffering because it is not false, know it to be true. The mantra of the perfection of wisdom is proclaimed. Paragate, Parasamgate, Bodhisattva. O Shariputra, a Bodhisattva, a great Bodhisattva, should train thus in the profound perfection of wisdom. Thereupon, the Buddha Bhagavan emerged from that Samadhi and declared to the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshwara. He has spoken well. Well said. Well said. It is just so, it is just that, just as you have taught, so should one practice the profound perfection of wisdom. Not only I, but all the other Tathagatas rejoice as well. When the Bhagavan had thus spoken, the Venerable Shariputra and the Bodhisattva, the great Bodhisattva, the exalted Avalokiteshwara, together with the entire assembly, as well as the rest of the world, Implies the gods, humans, demigods, and spirits, filled with joy, highly praised what the Buddha had taught. This complete Mahayana Sutra called the essence of perfection. Okay, so now to remove obstacles to gaining a deep and as deep of a understanding of, of the sutra as possible. So we are going to recite 
uh, this version of removing obstacles. There's another version of removing obstacles. And that's why I got confused you know, when they kept switching stuff in the early days. So there's a, we are going to recite again the, the mantra that was uh, listed in the Hatsutra, and before that we will recite another mantra. Okay. Uh, so, so again, think of whatever it is, whoever it is that is going to be helping you. Let your mind be attuned to the, to him or her or them. Okay. When we give them different names in this invocation. Okay. I prostrate to the gathering of Dakinis in the three chakras who abide in the holy yoga of using space by your powers of clairvoyance and magical emanation. Look after practitioners like a mother or a child. And we recite this. Okay, that's one. <laughs> Okay, let's see if we can make 21 before uh, 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs>
teachings of the three supreme jewels possessing the power of truth may inner and outer entrances be transformed okay get ready now this is the fun part okay At every time we say um well the tibetan makes it more apparent the english doesn't quite make it i guess when we get to the uh okay dispelled pacified and completely pacified we're gonna clap and we're gonna we're gonna gather all the obstacles between our hands and that's wisdom and compassion okay so the obstacles are between uh, uh, between our between our between wisdom and compassion okay and we are gonna destroy them with wisdom and compassion okay so think of all of them being there you know may they be the spell May they be pacified. May they be completely pacified. Good, nice. This is the pose to Dharma. May the host of 80,000 obstacles be pacified. May be separated by problems and harmful conditions to Dharma. May all enjoyments be in accordance with the Dharma. May there be auspiciousness and perfect happiness here right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, that was the fun part. <laughs> okay. Now to get an uh, an idea uh, of what we are going to try to get an understanding of, the first verse is sort of will give you an, uh, an idea okay what is it that we're going to try to understand what is it that we're going to try to see what is it that we're going to try to get to so we can actually transform our lives okay so the the verse the beginning verses exist only in the tibetan version you will not find it in the other versions in other countries okay in other uh, mayana countries and some other mayana countries do not have the setting of the setting of the of the event setting up the scene. They begin exactly where, where Bodhisattva uh, Avalokiteshwara starts to speak. Okay? So this is the, uh, uh, you could say what you could say, the longer version of the Hat Sutra. Okay? So, what is it that we are go- going to try to understand? Okay? The verse personifies this object that we're going to try to understand and it calls it the mother of the conquerors okay so the first verse the 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 first verse of the Hatsutra, which is just uh paying uh, paying homage to what the Hatsutra is about okay i prostrate to the mother of the conquerors of the three times and who is who is this mother of the conquerors uh, whether they are conquerors who became conquerors in the past, whether they are conquerors who are now, as we are speaking, becoming conquerors, or whether they are conquerors who are now living here, who will be conquerors in the future. Okay? Who is their mother? It is that perfection of wisdom. Ah. Let's, let's describe this mother of the conquerors, the past conquerors, the present conquerors, and the future conquerors. It is indescribable by words or thoughts. Now, 
whenever I'm going to be talking about perfection of wisdom, I'm going to be using words. I'm going to be thinking about about them and try to put those words, put those thoughts into words. And already, I am defeated by the beginning of this. Uh, of, of this, it tells me that the perfection of wisdom is indescribable, not by words. That's how we communicate with each other. And somehow, if we were able to sort of some sort of telepathic communication, it says it cannot be done by thoughts. Okay, let's continue. Okay, that perfection of wisdom, indescribable by words or thoughts, which does not arise and does not cease in nature like space. Okay. So how is this going to ever arise in my mind if its nature is not to arise? I like the fact that it doesn't cease, <laughs> but I would like it to arise. <laughs> okay. Let's say it is like space. Wow. How am I going to grab that? <laughs> Whose object belongs to the individual subject's awareness. This last phrase is very difficult to uh, translate. Okay. Whose object belongs to the individual subject's awareness. So, how can the mother of the conquerors be known? So, it cannot be described by words or thoughts. How can it be known? How can it be described? So, the only way you can ever get a hold of the mother of the conquerors is in your own consciousness. That's the only way. So everything else is just a way to lead your mind to it. What will be done, what will be said, will not be the perfection of wisdom. Because those things can only lead you to it. The perfection of wisdom can only be known in your mind. Okay, so I'm not going to describe the perfection of wisdom to you. Ever, <laughs> because I can't. <laughs> okay. So that means uh, usually when you have an object that has a certain uh, qualities, you can describe those qualities in ways that it actually, in the very uh, description of them, it creates an image in your mind. Okay, that you that that allows you to be able to identify the object when you actually encounter it. Okay, if I'm describing uh, an apple, I would say it's kind of round. <laughs> Never mind, because I can't describe stuff. <laughs> kind of round, red, maybe, depending if it's a red apple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna attempt that. <laughs> Never mind. But I can give certain qualities that you can, like the color, the shape, some sort of general image of it, that it actually, as soon as I finish describing it, pop, an image comes in your mind. Okay, and it is a good representation representation of the apple or whatever I'm describing. But the perfection of wisdom is not that. I cannot, in in words, create an image of it in your mind. I can say things, things you, you can read things about it, and then you take those things home, and then you you churn those things in your mind, and you, and then eventually later on, the uh, the perfection of, of wisdom. 
that's what it's referring to here. That's why it's, 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 it's indescribable by words or thoughts. Now, of course, uh, some people will say, well, uh, 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 teaching on the perfection of wisdom is very easy. Everybody sits down, and then I don't say anything. And I, at the end of the, uh, at the 9 o'clock, I say, okay, we finish. That was the, the full description, full teaching on the perfection of wisdom, and I didn't say anything. Okay? <laughs> that would be very easy. Then you can go home and then think whatever you want to think. If it's good, I did a good job. If it's bad, it's your fault. <laughs> okay. But of course, I can say words, I can think about it in a certain way that help you and lead you to have a correct, gain a correct understanding. And this correct understanding is not the perfection of wisdom, but it will help you actually meet, have a direct meeting with the perfection of wisdom. And when you meet it, you will say, oh, I see why they said indescribable by words and thoughts. Because I cannot find a word or a thought that directly describes this. Okay? The experience itself cannot, is why? Because the experience, you have to leave conceptual mind behind. And conceptual mind deals a lot with you know, concepts, words. Uh, things that you encounter with, your, with, with our senses, with our, with our uh, five senses. Okay, these are the, this, this is what words describe. And since this perfection of wisdom is something beyond the five senses, so we don't have words for it. Okay, so that's why it says it cannot be described by words or thoughts. Okay, not that you can you cannot talk about it. If someone is saying, you know, uh, I think you're, uh, if you're having a debate with someone, someone says the perfection of wisdom is yellow. And you say, wait a minute, that's incorrect. And person say, wait a minute, how can you say it's incorrect? You cannot talk about it. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, which does not arise and which does not cease in nature like space, this is why, believe it or not, this connects to uh, what I said earlier. Remember, I asked you, where did this come from? Okay. So, here is describing the. It, it, it should have said the perfection of wisdom that came up 2,500 years ago when the Buddha taught it. Okay, that's when uh, that's when it arose, and it's now it's abiding, and eventually it will go away. You know, when there's no more uh, Buddhists or people who practice something connected to the perfection of wisdom. Well, it is not one of those kinds of things. Okay, the Buddha did not invent it, and that's why. In the perfection of wisdom, when you're studying the perfection of wisdom, there's an emphasis in the beginning where it says, "This is not philosophy." Okay, philosophy. You know, you go home, you think, mm, "I wonder how that is." This is not the perfection of wisdom. Is not philosophy. Perfection of wisdom is looking and then seeing and then you see it. Okay, that's not philosophy. Okay, if I tell you, uh, if I show you. Uh, no, look at this clear glass. Clear glass is not a philosophy. This is a clear glass. Okay? Now I can tell you, you know, uh, it was created by little hell elves under the basement, you know, in order to set the universe in, in, uh, in its proper axis. <laughs> That's philosophy. Okay? I didn't see little elves. I didn't see, I, I never saw the universe, you know, on any axis. All these things, I'm just things that I'm conjuring up, okay? That's philosophy. 
that's why it is said the Buddha refuses to say this is I don't teach the Buddha refuses to say that he teaches philosophy okay so this is not philosophy okay so this is an, a perception that that uh, some beings using a certain method of analyzing a certain method of perception are able to perceive and if you use those methods of, of, of perception those methods of, of, of analysis you too will see it okay. now uh, now we, we go in the language of India Arya Bhagavati Pragya Paramita Hitraya okay. and in the language of Tibet that's and where is the English? <laughs> okay. Uh, the word Arya, that's what's packed by here. That, and that's a, a, a word that is sort of uh, difficult to translate. Arya means, uh, by itself, it means exalted. It means uh, someone who has reached a superior state of being. It refers to someone who has had a direct encounter with the perfection of wisdom. Okay? And that person, once you've had a direct encounter with the perfection of wisdom, you are now an exalted being. You are no longer a child. You're, uh, as, far as, uh, you, as far as beings are concerned, you are now, you are now uh, grown up. Okay? And you're about to become a very fully mature being. Okay? You're on your way there, definitely. Before then, we were all children, running around doing children things. So, so the text itself is called an Arya, and it's called a Bhagavati. Uh, the Tibetan, the way the the way the Tibetan decided to translate Bhagavati is Chomden Dema, and actually, it's not a direct translation of Bhagavati. It's a translation of a definition of Bhagavati. Okay. Uh, when you do, uh, 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 some of you have probably encountered this. Uh, there's a, a beautiful uh, meditation for those who are, uh, have a, a very devotional nature. And it's called recollecting uh, meditation on re recollecting the Buddha, where you are uh, re recalling the various aspects of the Buddha. He's Buddha because of this. He's Buddha because of that. He's Buddha because of this. And this is supposed to conjure up some, uh, uh, an, an emotion of devotion within you. And through that emotion of devotion, it leads you to a still mind, a very concentrated, powerful state of meditation. Okay. So in one of, in, in one of the attributes of the Buddha, it is, it is when it says, this is why it's called the Lord. This is why it's called the Lord. It's called the Lord because Chomdendema. Okay. Because he has conquered all that needs to be conquered. And he has gained all that needs to be gained, all that is worthy of being gained. So, in the, when the Tibetans were translating the Bhagavati, they didn't have a specific word for it. So they they look at one of the attributes and they translated one of those attributes. But that's how you get Chomdendema. Okay. Okay. So the exalted Chomden and the Dema makes it Chomdende. And Chomden Dema makes it uh, feminine. Okay, so it's Chomden Dema. And who is this Bhagavati Chomden Dema? 
uh, I think uh, so, so many different people translated different ways. And, uh, uh, Alexander Bergen, I don't know if any of you have gone to his website or heard of him or read his, his, his works. I mean, he's been doing this translation stuff, you know, act literally before I was born. Because I think he graduated when I, when I was born or something like that. Okay. So he's been around for a long time. So he came up with, he tried, I should say. <laughs> he, was, he was so criticized for doing that. Because uh, you know, there were people who had been translating stuff since the 18th, you know, since 19, early, uh, early 20th century, 19th century, translating Tibetan uh, Buddhist texts, Buddhist terms. And there are some terms that have sort of become standard. And he decided to change, you know, you know, change everything. Because he wanted to follow exactly what the Tibetans did. Just like the Tibetans, don't, you don't see any Sanskrit when you're reading. I mean, in reading this, we're reading a bunch of words that are not English. Bodhisattva, Buddha, those are not English words. Those are Sanskrit words. But because we, we, we so far we haven't found <laughs> the proper translation for them, we decided to leave it to posterity or just leave it exactly as Sanskrit, in Sanskrit. The Tibetans didn't do that. They translated every single word. Okay? So that's why they have Pakpa Chomdendema instead of Pakpa Bhagavati. Okay? And and, you, and there are other, other, other words in there that just, we just left them in, in, in Sanskrit as far as translating them is concerned. So he thought he could do the same thing that the Tibetans did and translate every single thing into English. And if, if, <laughs> you'll be very unfortunate if you happen to read his stuff and you're already familiar with terms already and you have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> but if you know the Tibetan, you'll say, ah, that's cute. What he just did. <laughs> like, for example, uh, paramita. The word paramita means uh, para, para, uh, something. Param, paramita is, uh, is the, the word the Tibetan translates parol too. Something that is, you know, uh, 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 on the other side. Something that is way, way, way far. Like the, that's why they, sometimes they use the word the other shore. Something that is far, far ahead. And what, uh, so. Sherapti Paro to Chimba, gone beyond, gone to the beyond, gone to the far side. So the way uh, Alexander Berzin translated it is far reaching wisdom. And you, and you say, what? What, is, what is he talking about? <laughs> what is this? I don't think I've ever, I mean, I've been studying Buddhism for so, so many years. I've never heard of a far reaching something, wisdom. And that's what has been translated now as the perfection of wisdom. He calls it the far-reaching. Because the word perfection is does not exactly the uh, uh, direct translation of parol tu or paramita. Okay? So, so I guess when other people have already decided, okay, we're from, we're, in English we'll call it the perfection. This is one thing that we have translated already. And then he, he called it far-reaching. Now in the when you, when you translate far-reaching, sort of give you an, a better understanding of what term that they, they are being described. Okay, it's far-reaching. Why why is it parallel too? Why is it far-reaching? Why is it param? It it reaches. It goes to the beyond. It goes to the other side. The other side of what? The other side of samsara. It is that knowledge. Once you have it, once you practice it, it carries you to the other side takes you far away 
from samsara, where samsara cannot touch you ever again. Okay. So this knowledge, which takes you far away, which is being called the perfection of wisdom, is the chomdendema. It is the victorious one. Okay. Uh, someone else translated as the went into uh, the victorious lady. Some people call it the. Have you come up with any other translations? What was that? No, the Chomdendema. Yeah. Well, the, the mother of all the Buddhas is, is another translation here. Yeah. But it, it is the one that is the mother of all the Buddhas. Now, when you hear the mother of all the Buddhas, and if you have. Uh, you've seen. They've gone as far as actually portraying, uh, not painting a picture of someone who's called the mother of all the Buddhas, Pragnaparamita, okay, from the Dema. Uh, sort of look like White Tara, but with different, uh, holding different things, okay. And you think, oh, there's, there's a person called Pragnaparamita, okay. When I encounter that person, that person will help me get a, 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 a perfection of wisdom. And of course, and it says, no, I prostrate to the mother of the conquerors. You know, you know, so you think in your mind, there's somebody who's actually the mother of, the, of all the Buddhas, you know, gives birth to the, all the Buddhas. Okay. Uh, there's no such person. <laughs> okay. Now, why are, why are they personifying the, the perfection of wisdom this way? It's just, you could, just say, you could say it's poetic. Okay. But there's also a reason. Uh, so, as far as human beings are concerned, when you hear mother of, automatically you think, okay, who is the father? Okay? Because, uh, I don't know, is there an animal that has only just mother, no father? I mean, th there are a few of them, right? Yeah. I cannot think of any right now. Especially one-celled animals, <laughs> okay? Okay, no, very. So, when you think of the mother, I say, oh, yeah. Okay, who's the father now? So, the mother of all the Buddhas is the perfection of wisdom. And the father of all the Buddhas is... Bodhicitta. Okay? So, I don't, actually, I've never seen any scripture or any uh, po po poetry that says, I bow to the father of all the Buddhas. You know, some sort of sexist thing going on here, I think. <laughs> okay. So, when you give rise to the perfection of wisdom in your mind, that perfection of wisdom will give birth to your Buddhahood. By practicing the perfection of wisdom, you will become a Buddha. So in that sense, the perfection of wisdom gave birth to you. But you cannot become a Buddha only with wisdom alone. You need the father bodhicitta. Okay. And bodhicitta is that intense aspiration built on an intense love, an intense compassion, concern for, for others. And that aspiration say, I want to perfect myself for the benefit of others. That intense aspiration is bodhicitta. And when you have that, 
and you encounter the perfection of wisdom with that state of mind, then you're able to later on give birth to yourself. First you be a little baby, and then you have to be fed, be taken care of, eventually be sitting on your own, that's the eighth bumi, and then <laughs> eventually you get strong, get strong, and one day you become a fully matured Buddha, fully, fully matured enlightened being. Okay. So that's why, so it, it means there's no other way to become a fully enlightened being. If you want to become a fully enlightened being, you have to one day give rise to the perfection of wisdom in your mind. And you have to practice the perfection of wisdom. And it sounds, because perfection of wisdom is something that you encounter in Buddhist circles, so you might think, oh, these people are being uh, uh, sectarian. They're saying that only through Buddhism you can reach uh, enlightenment. That's not what they're saying. Okay? Whatever that wisdom, that because you practice it, leads to a transcendental, transcendental state. That's another translation of paramita, transcendental. Okay. Uh, leads to another, to, leads to a transcendental state that is called Buddhahood. That, that is the perfection of wisdom. Okay. So, whoever is trying to become a fully awakened being, a Buddha, I like pronouncing it that way. <laughs> Sounds so cute, doesn't it? <laughs> I just love, love it when uh, uh, when somebody who, who's, no, who's familiar with how to speak Sanskrit or something close to it and they say it, Buddha. You know, was it actually quite, isn't it? Quite, look close. <laughs> Sounds so cute. <laughs> so if you want to become a Buddha, <laughs> A fully awakened being. So think of the word Buddha means simply whoever is awakened, whoever is fully enlightened. Okay. In 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 Buddhism, they decided to call it Buddha. Okay. So whatever else they want to call it, whatever other uh, uh, place, a fully enlightened being who is no longer subject to samsara, who is not only only incapable of being subject to samsara, but is able is capable of of functioning within, seemingly functioning within samsara, okay, without being affected by it. So whoever that is, whoever can do that, that's why in Buddhism it's called a Buddha, okay. So, so whoever is seeking to become a Buddha, that is a Buddha is. <laughs> but since that word doesn't quite, it's not quite sexy, let's just say Buddhist, <laughs> okay. So. You don't have to follow Tibetan tradition or, or Chinese tradition. You don't have to follow Zen tradition or whatever tradition. As long as you are sincerely wanting to know truth, you are a Buddhist, someone who is seeking the truth, okay? And seeking to be transformed by that truth, okay? All right. So. So the mother of the conquerors of the three times, and that's why the three times is stated there. So it's not only the Buddhas of the past who became Buddhas, depending on the perfection of wisdom. It's not only the Buddhas who are now being crowned Buddhas, depending on the mother of perfection, on the perfection of perfection of wisdom, but also you, who are here, who are aspiring to achieve Buddhahood. You have to depend on the perfection of wisdom. 
Now let's describe a little bit Buddhahood. Okay? I mean, do you want to become a Buddha? What is that Buddha thing anyway? Should you want to become a Buddha? Okay? When you look at the, the, the paintings, the, uh, the Tankas, various depictions of the Buddhas, and if you think that you, you're going to be one of those for eternity, you may hesitate. <laughs> Do you want to look green <laughs> for the rest of existence? <laughs> and have long ears? I mean, there may have been a time when long ears was very fashionable. But there's going to be a time in the future where it's not going to be fashionable anymore. And there you are, you're stuck with long ears for eternity. And green on top of it. <laughs> okay. Is that what a being a Buddha it means? Okay. If it means that, pack your bags, leave. <laughs> okay. So, how do you get yourself to sincerely aspire to becoming to become a Buddha? You begin with what your true aspirations are. Uh, there is a statement that you encounter in, uh, uh, well, just uh, how do I uh, contextualize this? Uh, in the canon, in the Buddhist canon, mostly followed by the Theravadins. Uh, I think that was very political correct, right? Okay. <laughs> In the canon, f mostly followed by the the, the, the Theravadins, there's a beautiful. Uh, uh, I cannot say exactly one because it's repeated in many of the the, 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 su the sutras, where the Buddha says, "If it's truly beneficial for you, then automatically it be, it's beneficial for for another. If it's truly beneficial beneficial for another, it will definitely be beneficial for you. Okay, if it harms one." automatically it harms the other. Okay? So, how am I, I going to connect this with aspiring to become a Buddha? Let's say what your, your, your true deep-seated heartfelt aspiration is to just, or I, I, shouldn't, uh, I, I shouldn't be prejudiced and say just, okay? For, forget the word just, okay? I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to be prejudiced, okay? If your aspiration is to Let's say, uh, be famous, okay? Deep-seated in your heart, that's what you consider to be worthy of aspiring to, worthy of working towards. Because when you hear someone says, this will make you famous, you start, you start doing it, almost automatically, okay? Because that's what you really want to, and you're willing to test anything that will get you there. But if I tell you, be nice to others, that will help you to become a Buddha, the reason that you're not picking up being nice all of a sudden is because you don't really know this thing called Buddhahood. You don't really know if you really want it. Okay? Because if, if it was something that you really wanted, just like I want fame, if I tell you be nice, you're gonna be nice to everybody. You're gonna, instead of saying, should I be nice or not be nice? You're gonna, you're gonna say, who should I be nice to? Okay? Should I also be nice to the students in those people over there? Okay, alright, that will get me famous, I'll do it. Okay? So, start with your actual sincere aspiration, whatever it may be. Whether it is termed worldly, 
whether it is termed, I mean, actually, uh, in the beginning of your spiritual path, for the most part, even those things that we are calling spiritual are really just worldly. You may want to master all the yogas that exist because it will make you famous. You may want to be the most generous person that, the, that has ever existed in the universe so that they can talk nice about you. Okay. Still, that is still worldly. Okay? So don't be, uh, uh, don't be worried, don't be concerned about whether or whether or not what you are aspiring to has already been labeled worldly. Because for the most part, even if you're calling it something spiritual, it's, it's for the most part, it most likely it's worldly. Okay? I want to become a fully enlightened Buddha for the sake of all sentient beings. So I can be famous. <laughs> can you imagine that day? When I'm shining all golden. People are blinded, they have to wear sunglasses to be in my presence. People will come from all over the place to come see me. <laughs> okay? So don't worry. So whatever it is, if it's your true aspiration, then acknowledge it uh, uh, and say it to yourself. Okay? So think of Buddhahood as being achieving that. Really achieving that. Okay? So if all you want is fame, then I'm about to give you instructions on how to become famous. Okay? And since it's going to be really becoming famous, then you don't have to worry about ever losing that thing. Okay? You're going to really be famous. Okay? And connecting it with if it benefits you, it will automatically benefit others. If it's benefiting others, it will automatically benefit you. Okay? If while you're practicing yoga, doing breath retention, out doing uh, you know chakra work here and there and then you're still hoping that one day you'll be famous because you can do the uh, I don't know a lot of you I think do yoga from the way you look okay, <laughs> okay. give me one like a very difficult yoga pose to do I'm not going to do it. I'm just giving the name of it. <laughs> okay. What was that? Compass pose. Compass? Yeah. I didn't even, I, I've never heard of that one. <laughs> but that's why. I can't do it. Compass. I mean, you actually do a pose that you, you look like a compass. You shoot one leg behind you and you shoot the other leg forward. And what? You... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wow. And you're holding the other leg. <laughs> <laughs> <Three legs. laughs> okay. <laughs> you work hard <laughs> to finally perfect that pose. Okay? Something like that. Okay? Because you believe it's going to make you famous. Okay? On your way to... Uh, as you're practicing it sincerely, because this is your sincere aspiration, you're not lying to yourself. You're not saying, I want to help all sentient beings, and you're angry with everybody all the time. Okay? 
if you really want to help all sentient beings, it, having at least sympathy for them should be natural for you. Okay? It's, it's, it's really because somehow this idea of helping all sentient beings hasn't really sunk into your, the depth of your being yet. It doesn't mean that you're some evil person, you know, should beat yourself up or something like that. You know, just, it's, it's, that's where you are. Acknowledge where you are. If you don't acknowledge where you are, you cannot go forward. You cannot make any progress. If you continue to lie to yourself, I'm a bodhisattva aspiring to become a fully enlightened being. As long as people leave me alone, what's the matter with them? <laughs> Can't they see I'm trying to be a Buddha for their sake here? <laughs> As you are sincerely trying to get to your true object of aspiration, you will undergo a transformation. Fame, the same natural energy, the same natural aspiration you have for fame will be for Buddhahood. So when you are, when you, when that shift, when that uh, shift uh, takes place, there will be a substitute. You will have the same fire aspiring to Buddhahood as you did for fame. Okay, so for now, don't pass judgment on yourself because you don't have uh, what maybe classically called actual bodhicitta. You don't have to uh, pass judgment on yourself, you know, blame. Uh, uh, feel discouraged, think that you're some evil person because you know you still get annoyed with some people some of the time and you're supposed to be a bodhisattva practicing high Soga Tantra and, and then you're still not able to get along you know even with the people that are close to you okay so look for what your true aspirations are and and tell yourself that's what Buddhahood is okay and whatever it is okay then, now, think of yourself in that state of fame or whatever your true aspiration is, okay? And you see yourself willing to do what it will take to get there, okay? Now, think that that's what Buddhahood is like. Buddhahood is that feeling that you get when you finally get what you really want. You can call it finally arriving at true satisfaction. Because that's what you're aspiring after when you're aspiring after that fame. Because you want a true sense of satisfaction. You're, you're right now, we are experiencing a state where we don't feel fully satisfied. And we think that getting that fame will get us that satisfaction. Okay. So that feeling, that state of being fully satisfied, that's Buddhahood. For now. Okay? No need to go into the four kayas, the three kayas, the two kayas. No need to go into that. The 112 minor marks, the, the minor marks, the major marks, no need to go into those things. A lot of them will not be attractive. Okay? And if you're listing, okay, I'm aspiring to this thing, and then it's a list of things that a lot of them you don't, you're not attracted to, what will you do? 
<laughs> if you don't run, what do you do? If you don't run? Change aspiration. What? Ignore them? Yeah. Okay. I will achieve those, but I don't have to worry about those other stuff. Or you will say, come on. Having long ears is, a, is the most wonderful thing. It's what Buddhas have. I have to have, I have to want long ears. <laughs> Being perfectly blue is what, you know, that's, that's the medicine Buddha. You know, I gotta, I gotta want to have a blue body. <laughs> and naturally, you wouldn't be caught dead having a blue body. And if you had long ears, you know, you know touching your, your shoulder, you would go to you know, have some sort of plastic surgery or something, okay? Because deep within you, that's not your aspiration. Okay, so don't go into the descriptions of, of what the Buddha is supposed to be. Think of it as that sense of satisfaction when you find when you finally fame, when you finally reach fame. That's what Buddhahood is. Okay, and now say I want to reach Buddhahood. Okay, now do we have time? <laughs> oh, I was gonna give you a break. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we're actually going to go into this text, okay? And it will not be like uh, several days of talking and then say, oh, wait a minute, it's the last, uh, last 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, then we run through it, okay? We're not going to do that. Okay, and we're going to go through it in such a way that you will go home and actually have something to, to, to take home and practice, okay? I think that's all the time we have for now. Uh, um, so, <laughs> we covered the title. <laughs> the title is covered. <laughs> we go into the next sentence next time. <laughs> I mean, actually, no. What do you expect for something that cannot be described in words and thought and <laughs> that does not arise, does not, not cease? It's like space, man. <laughs> Speaking of space, I was watching uh, Nova, the, uh, I don't know, a couple of days ago, and they were talking about space being something that you can actually manipulate. That's very interesting, isn't it? And then also, and then in that same, uh, on the same thing, you were talking about time as being also something you can manipulate. Hmm. In nature, like space. I wonder if it's like that. <laughs> okay, maybe not, but well, we get into it. Okay. Sorry. I think it, I think it was called Nova. Okay. Yes, yeah, space. <laughs> <laughs> Look Nova and then space and then it'll come to that. <laughs> um, ah, I wanted to tell you uh, what references I'm using. I'm using uh, uh, the text, the teaching uh, Rinpoche gave. It was transcribed into a text called, that's what the, the title of, of the 
front pages. Okay, the tre the key to the treasury of Chunyata. It's a text that has two commentaries on two different things: the praise of the Buddha and then the the Sutra. Okay, you can have that as reference, and you can read it. And if you have questions, you can when we come to that section, you can ask questions. And, if, and the Dalai Lama has there's a beautiful text. Uh, also another transcription of a teaching that the Dalai Lama gave called, uh, what's it called? The Essence. The Essence of the Hot Sutra. Okay, you can also read, look into that. And there are other texts also, okay? But these are the two main ones that I would uh, recommend if you want to have some sort of text to read, okay? And of course, I will uh, try to use my, uh, what I remembered from teachings that I received from the Rinpoche, from the Dalai Lama, and from Art Engel, Art Engel went into like almost five years going over, he's still doing it. I had to run away. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, five years of going over the perfection of wisdom. And something that Art Engel uh, just talked about, he said, see that 100,000 line? He said, for the most part, only when you become old, you actually pick up that text and start reading it. In the beginning, as a young monk or as a you know a young practitioner, it's something you hear about. Oh, the, the, the perfection of wisdom, one hundred thousand line. It may it may as well be a, a, some myth. Okay, but it's an actual text. It's actually one hundred thousand lines. Okay, uh, and and usually in big some sort of event, they will take it out and start reading it. And uh, and sometimes a very famous teacher would come and do just that, just read it. Not explain it, just read it from beginning to end. And that would take like several months, of course. And then you would go there and then, and that, that's called getting a, a loom, getting a transmission of hearing it. Okay. And uh, in receiving a transmission, especially 100,000 lines, uh, what's in, you may not, it doesn't matter if you understand what's being said, but what's very important when you're receiving a loom, what, what, what makes it actually that you receive the loom is that you remain awake throughout the entire time. Okay? If you fall asleep, sorry, you missed the loom. Okay? So if you hear so-and-so is giving a loom, and you say, oh, loom is a very blessed thing, let me go get some loom, and then you go there and then... Uh, <laughs> and eventually that takes place for five, ten minutes, you don't know, you know time is flexible. <laughs> you, you don't even have the loom. But they say that you don't necessarily have to listen, <laughs> you just have to stay awake. <laughs> so you can distract yourself, I don't know, play Game Boy or something. <laughs> <laughs> because the lung is happening at a other level of consciousness but that level of consciousness is not going to be there if you're asleep but you have to be somehow awake okay so I don't know uh, I mean I did receive lung of this maybe one one day and maybe at the end or something we'll give a lung and if it's too long you know bring your Game Boy or something <laughs> you of course with puzzles <laughs> I just stay awake while it's being recited and by the end of it you go like this and you're still awake then you receive the loan okay 
And of course, if you can. <laughs> Try to stay awake like that, listening. That, that, that's, that's probably better. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, that's it. Really, that's really it. So, all right. So, whatever understanding you gain to, tonight, uh, give thanks to that whatever it was that helped you gain that understanding. And if you were able to maintain some degree of, uh, uh, of <laughs> staying awake, give thanks to whatever it was that helped you, your own intelligence, some other intelligence, whatever it was, give thanks to that. And if you're able to maintain your mind here so that the interrupters didn't interrupt, say thank you for not interrupting. Okay. All right. So let's give thanks to that. dedication about some a real concern you have then that will help you achieve those states that you are aspiring to achieve rather than still fighting trying to get your mind to a certain state just have everything be as genuine as possible as truthful as possible as honest as possible okay right, thank you Maybe next time we'll have a break. <laughs> 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 <laughs>